Check, check, check. That's better. Here we go. Hi, everybody. Let's see. It is the 17th of February, 2022. My name is Luke Thomas. This is episode, I believe, 103 of the Luke Thomas live chat. So welcome, everyone. I'm glad you're here. First things first, as always, please give the video a thumbs up. Please hit subscribe. I think you can see it. Where is it? There it is. Right here, if you're watching on YouTube. If you're watching or you're listening, rather, on podcast, you won't see what I'm doing, but it doesn't matter. I don't really need your help in that particular way. Anyway, on today's program, we'll get to UFC 271 leftovers. I think there's a few random questions about whatever the hell else is going on. Also, I have a fun little announcement for you, which we'll get to after the stinger. So if you're ready, let's get this started. We're thumbing up. We're hitting subscribe. If you want to leave a question that definitely... or very strong chance, I'll put it that way. I mean, if you ask me, like, you know, name all the people you've banged, I probably wouldn't answer that. But if it's otherwise an answerable question and you put a donation in vis-a-vis -vis the uh, Super Chat, I'll get to it at the end, okay? All right, without further ado, let's get this party started. And we're back. Okay, I'll turn this subscribe animation off. Uh, let me just say this. Let me say this. I have an announcement for you. Um, folks have been asking, is it about the new studio? No. Uh, although I've toured a bunch of places and I think we found one. I've yet to put pen to paper, but I believe we have found our winner. So um, I'm excited about potentially pursuing that. But that's not my announcement. My announcement is as follows. Many of you asked me, or I think I asked you guys last week if you would be interested in having a conversation, so to speak, with John Nash, the reporter over at Bloody Elbow who has done far and away, like not even a close second, the best work on fighter pay. You guys said you would be interested. Well, lo and behold, I asked him. He is down. So here's what we're going to do. On probably Sunday or Monday, but probably Sunday, I'm going to put up a thread for questions like I normally do for this live chat, which I always do on the community tab here at youtube.com slash Luke Thomas. You go to the community tab once you see it and you can see the threads and you can see the questions. I'm going to put one up on pro yeah Sunday night. Sunday night, I'll do it. Monday, yeah, I have to do it on a Monday. Again, we're recording on Monday, so yes, I have to do it on Sunday. I will do it probably Sunday morning even after the fights. And you guys will fill it up with all of your fighter pay questions. What are your fighter pay questions? Whatever they may be. Should this guy make money? Should that guy not make money? How do we know? What's the evidence? Anything you're curious about related to fighter pay, not just in MMA or UFC, but in boxing as well. How do the two compare? Do they make more in this state or this country? What about taxes? This is your chance to get all of your questions answered. So... I'll put up the thread on Sunday. You guys fill it up. I'm talking to him on Monday. Video will be out Tuesday morning. If you guys want another live chat, I will do one on Thursday. If not, we'll just count that one entirely up to you. But um, Tuesday morning, it's going to be out. I'm going to do a conversation. Now, it's not really going to be live because I have to moderate it in a certain way. We're going to record it ahead of time. I'll set it for an instant premiere, but um, that's coming. You guys have requested it. We're going to get it done. I feel like this will be one of the better talks you ever see on fighter pay. I have a good, good feeling about it. So this is your chance. Get them all in and we will he will answer them. I'll play moderator, but you get the idea. I hope that helps. That'll be out Tuesday. That doesn't mean, oh, Luke, are you still going to do any technique breakdowns? Those are still going to happen, but for sure I'm going to add this on top of it. Okay? 
Um, I don't think there's any other announcement other than that one that really kind of matters. Plus, it's 3.06, so we'll go till about 4.06, and then we'll hit the questions for the Super Chat. Okay? All right. First one's first. Uh, hi, Luke. You, you Last week on MK, you mentioned you visited a friend's house and slapped your friend. No, I didn't slap him. Um, I think I said he got smacked, which means he had an edible. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't physically hit him. I don't know if it's current slang or whatever, but in my 20s and 30s, early 30s, I, you know, I don't know what the fuck is cool anymore. But back then, around these parts, when someone would have an edible and get like, woo, we would call it getting smacked. Uh, secondly, BC often says a, high, a lot of <laughs> highly inappropriate things about some of your family members. Yes, this is true. Granted, you try and move along without a lot of awkwardness, and some of them are jokes, obviously. Have you ever had to pull BC aside and give him a slap to avoid... No, a uh, slap avoiding conversation. No, I've never... First of all, I've never put hands on BC ever. And second of all, yeah, I mean, we've had differences of opinion and we've discussed them, but they usually don't go beyond one conversation. So, sort of, but not really. How many hours per week would you say you work on average? An estimated breakdown of hours worked for MK plus solo stuff would be interesting. Dude, I don't do anything but that. <laughs> Like, if I'm awake, I'm either with my kid, my wife, some family member, uh, or working, uh, and that's about, I don't really have hobbies, bro. Um, the, the thing that has gotten me into a bit of trouble is um, I have a very hard time balancing my training needs with the need for this YouTube channel to continue. In fact, one of the things that has been a motivating factor in some... Dude, if y'all are... I mean, I don't know where you live. I don't know what your financial situation is. Everyone's going to be different on this one. But there is, at least in my city, and I, I would imagine a lot of places because of the COVID uh, pandemic and everything, there's a ton of commercial real estate that's available that they're trying to turn into office space. In some cities, including mine, they're trying to convert it to residential space. We'll see how that goes. I'm trying to point out one of the places that is one of these new office complexes, a la WeWork. It's not a WeWork, but it's like it. They offer like tons of stuff. Like one of the places I went to had like a food court. Another one has a two of the places I went to have like when I say full gyms, I mean ninety-five to ninety-eight percent of everything you would see in a normal commercial gym. Like if you want to get a workout, very easy to do there. So what I might end up doing is just canceling my gym membership and then going to one of these places and then bracketing it all together. I bring this up to say that's all I do. I'm either with my family, I'm either doing work, I'm either studying, I'm I'm, you know, I might be reading for pleasure or something, but I sort of consider that part of like, you know, staying erudite. It happens when I study, it doesn't feel distinct. And then, you know, I might see my friends once or twice a month or something like dude it's all I do I don't do anything else um, and I'm not even saying that's something that you need to do or that it's good in fact I'm pretty sure it's not good but uh, it's what I do it's all I, I don't do anything I don't play video games you know obviously watch the occasional movie and stuff like that but in general how many hours per week any anyone I can find um Someone asking, Luke, can you give your thoughts on a potential Imavov adesanya matchup? He strikes me as a far better, quote, new blood challenge to Adesanya than Cannoneer or Strickland. Really any of the top ten. Probably, you know, listen, he's already beaten, uh, I think he's faced four or five out of the current top ten. And he's beaten all of them, uh, two of them a couple times. So, 
So yes, I mean, it probably just sort of stands to reason that whoever is in that space is not necessarily, even though they're highly ranked, um, they're not necessarily all that well equipped to win. Cannoneer, certainly, I, I take seriously as a competitor. I would have, I would favor the champion to win that one, but um, you know, I, it's not some pushover fight. Same with Strickland, but you're right to probably say, okay, there's a really good group of guys, but that that champion beating guy. Hard to really f identify clearly in that top 10. But as I've said a number of times, all that has to happen is for Cannoneer to be really on and for Adesanya to be just a little bit off and that title can change hands. Not just because I think highly of Cannoneer, I, I think I think just as highly, if not more highly, in fact, for the champion. But we, you know, going back to Pena and going back to Juliana, you know, um, yes, one person can be way more skilled than another and way more battle-tested and all the things you would imagine. But if there's a little bit of trouble in paradise and this other person is living up to the fight of their life and the night of their life, dude, the title's going to change hands. Like, uh, So in that sense, you can't be too glib about it. But you're right. Like, am I looking down the list and saying, hey, who's that guy who's going to be um, Adesanya? I, I don't necessarily see them inside the top 10. Imavov also, I would humbly submit, while very talented, still has some room to get to the place he needs to be to be like a real clear, not just contender for the championship, but to maximize all the things he is already quite good at, but a little bit more work, I think. Um, someone's asked this. It's got some recommendations and some ups, so I'll answer it, but um, I don't know how helpful it will be. Luke, have you ever had your heart broken in a relationship? Yeah, sure, man. Uh, not Not just once. Uh, before finding your wife, was there a person you thought you were going to spend your life with? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did. It goes back to that question about how do you know? Well, it turns out you don't, actually, in many cases. I would think for me at this point, the reason why I would have a better clear... And by the way, this upcoming September, so September 20, 2022, uh, what is it, eight months away at this point, something like that? That'll be my 10-year anniversary with my wife. That's not together. That's just married. 10-year wedding anniversary. I was with her for three more years. So that'll be 13 years together. A long time. But um, but the reason why I... Well, the, to answer your question, rather... Uh, yeah, dude. Even right before that one... Well, I had, you know, some in-betweens from the one to the next. But the previous... Prior to meeting my wife, the previous long-term relationship I was in was three years. And uh, that one broke me. It broke me. It broke me completely. It broke me to the... It broke me in... In every way you could imagine, it uh, it ruined me for a while. It was terrible. It was terrible because a couple of reasons. One, it was like a long distance relationship, so I had to put in just you know this extra. She was four hours away, um, and then eventually moved in with me. But then it all collapsed. But the point being was for long stretches of it, it was this constant distance, which is terrible. Um, the other part was I didn't recognize some. You know, it's my fault. I didn't recognize some warning signs that probably could have made for better decision making about what. Uh, was good for me, but the other part was, man, I had given, that was the first time I think I'd really given everything of myself to something, not some professional cause, a personal cause, not just a ton of work, but I really was emotionally all in, and it all collapsed because the person who I was all in on uh, was not all in, and it resulted, before the ultimate heartbreak, it resulted in a series of just insanely painful events. Um, that precipitated a breakup, and then after that, reeling with the reality of everything I had invested in and what I wanted, it all was it, it all came crashing down. And remember, again, there was all these steps prior to that that had been insanely painful by the action of the other person, and uh, I wasn't right for a while. But um, you know, what choice do you have? People are gregarious. Um, people are. 
They need love. They need attention. They need things. And the, really, the only way to get those things is to you know, more, much more carefully manage your affairs and be more selective about the kinds of people you invite in. But once you invite them in, the process is kind of, you know, the same. You you must surrender to it for it to for it to work. And so that risk will come back. You just have to steal yourself. And then put yourself in a better position by making better choices for the next go round. But you cannot avoid it. You can, or, or, well, I suppose you could avoid it, but you cannot recapture what that thing you thought was going to be great. You can't recapture the better parts of that until you simply re-enter the fray. Um, this is life. This is. There are no easy answers. So yeah, dude. Right before I met my wife, dude, it was whew, horrible, 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 horrible. Couldn't, and that, in part because. The other person we had split was not, I, I don't know what they experienced. I, I literally have not spoken to them since. Uh, once we split, I decided I would like never have contact with this person, not even at an animosity, but I was so done with everything I had given that I had, I had literally not even enough energy to a year later pick up the phone and be like, hey, how are you? You know, send them an email. How are you? I, I was I was done. I was completely done. And by the way, I think that actually facilitated the rebound a little bit. Um, so yeah, yeah, dude, I got absolutely crushed and murdered. And that was a terrible, terrible time. Terrible time. And I remember, um, last thing I'll say on this, I remember it was right before my 30th birthday. And uh, I'll never forget... Um, We had split up maybe a week before that, and it was the day of my 30th birthday, and she had to come back to pick up some things from the house. That was actually the last time I saw her. And it was it was on my 30th birthday, and I remember there was a surprised look on her face when she was like, hey, how are you going to spend your 30th birthday? Because I think when she split, she was like, hey, a gung-ho, this is awesome. I'm free again or whatever. When I split, I knew it was the right call to split, but I, um, but it was so painful, insanely difficult. I couldn't even answer her. I had to look at her in the face and I had to treat my mouth like it was wired shut because I, I felt like if I spoke a word that I was going to burst into tears. So all I could do was just sort of like shake my head and, uh, you know, mm -mm, like that. I, I, if I opened my mouth, I was going to cry. So uh, from that to this, it can be done. But, you know, <laughs> life is hard. Um... Let me answer a different question. I'll come back to this one. Luke, there, a lot has been made about fighter pay. And again, we're going to have a big discussion about this next week. How would you value an early prelim fighter? What is the fair value of fighter contracts? There's a few ways to look at this, and I can't believe people get this wrong. I think I saw who was it? A guy who I, 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 I really like this guy. I think he's great, not just because he's become a great fighter, but because um, he's not coasting off any of the MTV fame or never tried. Uh, certainly, it's been a long time since um, Danger, the... Um, Caged was around the MTV show, but uh, he was making a point about like who actually makes the UFC money. And I would humbly submit while I, uh, who was it? Matt Schnell. Love Matt Schnell. Think so highly of him. But I really would humbly submit he was very wrong about that uh, in, a, in a couple of different ways. Understand something about the UFC roster. Is it true that somebody on the UFC roster, especially insiders who, even us, some of the guys we can't name, it's like, where does this guy come from? Is contender series or ultimate fighter? Or who is this person? Like, you don't really know. And the argument would be like, what value could this person really bring to the UFC? Well, individually, I don't know how much value they're bringing to the UFC. But their role that they play, even though they're a prelim fighter, is actually hugely significant for the UFC. How does the UFC make money? 
lot of different ways, right? They have a number of different streams of revenue. But one of the big ways they do it is ad inventory and various promotional deals. Deals like the deal they have with DraftKings. They have the DraftKings clock, obviously the DraftKings integration, um, you name it, right? Part of the way that the UFC gets the money that they get ultimately for a deal like that is the promise of inventory, right? How much is this logo going to be seen? How much is this relationship with DraftKings going to be promoted? When you have a series of prelim fighters and it's airing on television or wherever it's airing, streaming or whatever, you sell ads against those fights. That means those fights, when the ads are being sold against it, are making the UFC money. More to the point, you need enough of those fights to fill the overall inventory deal that the UFC signed with ESPN. Remember, one of the big reasons why they kept going in the pandemic was not because they had some, you know, right off the bat, the very best practices about what to do with COVID, although I think that they thought that. Forgetting all that for just a second, one of the reasons was they have to get a certain amount in every year to get the money that is promised from that ESPN deal. Well, part of the reason you can offer 40-plus fights a weekend is if you have all those prelim fighters and all those guys who don't have rankings next to their number constantly filling in and taking those places. Then they sell ads against that placement. Folks, the idea that a prelim fighter does nothing for the UFC is categorically false. They are actually, as a group, one of the most, if not, I won't say the most important, but one of the most important groups that they have. They can't make a huge $750 million deal with UFC if they don't have all that inventory. They can't have that inventory if they, have, if they don't have hundreds of nameless guys on there. Now, are those guys selling them pay-per-view? No, they're not doing them a whole lot of good as a pay-per-view revenue driver. That is true. Do they sell a whole lot of fight kits? No. When it comes to that, they're not making the UFC a lot of money. That is true. Or concessions or whatever the fact, if they're the first or second fight on the card. All of that is entirely true. But there are other ways, hugely enormous, important ways that the UFC makes money that relies on those guys. Understand something. If you removed everyone from the UFC except the top 15 across the weight classes, that would devastate their business. Devastate their business. They wouldn't have nearly the length of broadcast time along which to sell ads. And more to the point, they wouldn't be able to deliver on their inventory responsibilities that would dramatically cut back on the contracted revenue that they have built around. In fact, the biggest pivot that UFC Pay has made over the course of the years, and John Nash will speak to this more ably than I, but the basic gist is as follows. It used to be much more volatile. It was star-centered based. still is to a degree, obviously. Um, and it was based around pay-per-view. Now, that is still, again, critically important. But much of the volatility has been removed, in part by virtue of the ESPN deal, in part because they want to go to contracted revenue. Right? I want to get a contracted deal. We get X amount for X amount. You give us this much, we give you that much. It's in writing. It's in stone. We deliver them the product, and the money comes. Folks, you take out 16 on in terms of their ranking, and you just left the top 15, it would crush their business. It would crush it. So, no. 
every individual one prelim fighter by themselves doesn't. As a class and what they represent for how the UFC structures their revenue generation, folks, they are as critical an ingredient as it gets. So why should prelim guys make more money? Motherfucker, you're selling ads against them. You're making events to reach inventory goals that you get television money from that you need them to do. <laughs> like, I don't know how people have worked themselves into all these feelings about, well, these guys deserve money and these guys don't. And everyone makes it out to be like, oh, it should be the really... I, I, and I appreciate the champion's advocacy. It was Israel Adesanya being like, you know, the guys who are fresh shouldn't make them a lot of money, but enough to like they don't have second or third jobs. And people think that... And by the way, he's right. He's absolutely right. But that's that's not like... That's not the, the way to fix this. The way to fix this is, well, wait a second. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. You're selling ads against all of these guys' performance. And you're building a, an inventory schedule that relies upon them for you to get that 750. Well, okay, how much of a cut of those two things do they get? And then the money comes through, shoots through the fucking roof. It shoots through the roof. People have tried to convince themselves that only certain people need money or it's a certain kind of fighter or it's a certain kind of scenario. All of them deserve more money for different reasons. They do bring, of course, Adesanya brings more than somebody who is the second fight on the card on a on an ESPN Plus direct thing. Okay, fine. He's bringing more. He should make more. That's hardly controversial. But the idea that only those guys make money, only those guys are the ones to to pull back is lunacy. It's not even remotely true. And it's not just the ESPN deal. That inventory deal has powered all of many of the other deals that they have in overseas markets in places like Europe, in places like South America and Central America, Australia, Asia. That content factory powers all of that guaranteed international revenue. I'm telling you, you lose 16 to whoever, it, it doesn't, I don't know if it ends it, but it crushes their business. Crushes. Um, I would need more time to answer. It's a perfectly reasonable question. Given the divide in America, why do you think a third party with a mixture of progressive and conservative policies have not been successful in American democracy? In part... Um, I don't know how much of a political constitu constituency there is for progressive and conservative policies as such. Um, I would actually argue it's not so much that we need a third party that mixes conservative and progressive causes, although I suppose you might see some of that in some ways. What I would just say is we need just a more robust partied system here, one where, um, and I could go through a whole bunch of things. I think the, the way in which we do primaries has exacerbated radicalism, frankly, on both sides, but especially the right. But both sides, that's fine. I would agree to both. Um, and more to the point, what I would actually like to see are different shades of all the different parties, right? Where you have these working, governing coalitions that are, you know, some are much more left, some are much more right, some are much more centrist. And all the parties kind of work together in tandem, depending on who is in power and what kind of coalitions they have to build. And I think that would much more broadly represent interests and get you a better democratic process. So, I mean, you're asking sort of a different question. But just asking a party to pull from this and pull from this and meet in the middle, who is the political constituency for that? I don't really think that's the issue. I think actually just the finding a party that speaks to all of the many parties inside the GOP, inside the Democratic Party or whatever, 
there's actually there's actually significant splits within them. And I think not balkanizing them per se is the answer, but just having a greater uh, change in the way we do some of our elections. Ranked choice voting is obviously needs to be included. But to the question you're asking, there's no political constituency to just pull and pull. But there might be for a more targeted, coherent approach for progressive left or um, on the right side, uh, supply side right or culture war right or whatever the version of that party on the left or the right that has a more centered focused thing and they work together to actually answer for constituents but then have a um, a governing mandate that requires them to build coalitions i really believe that is a significantly better system but whenever you ask yourself about like you know, why can't we do this because there's no political constituency for a little bit of this a little bit of that meet down the middle Luke, is it just me or does Adesanya seem particularly susceptible to the jab relative to other strikes attempted against him? Both Gaslam and Whitaker scored frequently with a jab. Can you explain why this is maybe in whom you think he might be able to exploit this as a potential liability? I mean, here's the thing. If, if Adesanya wanted to get out of the way of more jabs, I actually think he could. To answer your question, part of the reason why he gets hit with those particular punches more than other ones is he is he plays in a danger zone, Right? He is leaning into a punch, right? He's directly leaning in. His nose is either in line with his toes or even out in front of it sometimes. He is begging you to get hit. And then he has to get off on the side or, you know, really lean back. Um, you're putting yourself in the danger zone and you're requiring yourself to use athleticism and timing to get out of the way of it. Now, even with that, he is fucking awesome at it. But you're right. Relative to other ones, he gets hit more. Partly, he just puts himself in danger more. I think the other part is... Um, I wonder if that camp just believes that they don't count as much or they have a different view of what impact they're having in the fight. Because, dude, here's the thing, man. I'm telling you guys, like, not everyone has had a chance to, to talk to Eugene Behrman, but I've talked to him in, in person and in private, you know, a dozen times or so, something like that, Some, collect, collectively, a dozen times or so. And I got to tell you, dude, I don't come across many people who are as smart as him in this game. I really don't. Y'all want me to say something bad about him? I can't. I, can't, I just, I really wish I could. I can't. He is fucking smart, man. Really smart. He just has an eye for not just detail, but like what factors really influence a fight. So I, I haven't had a chance. I would love to sit down with him and be like, okay, let's look at these jabs. And not just any jab that Whitaker landed, but let's say some of the more demonstrative ones that pushed Adesanya's head back or took him off of, not like knocked him down but you know stumbled his balance or whatever like what would he say about that I don't know I don't know what he would say about that candidly but you can't be that smart and not understand that that's a threat so you know he could be just downplaying it in the media or something but just understand man when I talk to this dude and I don't mean he just understands what's happening his erudition about boxing and kickboxing history is off the fucking charts dude off the charts Part of the reason why CKB is obviously so good, and Adesanya in particular, is dude, they have a very special coach over there. Doesn't make him perfect. No coach is. Doesn't make him always right. Nobody is. Um, but, you know, you would be wise to listen to him when he talks. I, I would just, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how they view that as more minimal than how some of us see it. I, I mean, I, you know, they've got motivated reasoning. They're obviously cheering for the guy who, who was fighting the other guy in terms of the jabbing, but... Um, so I would say when he puts himself in danger to um, the way in which he has chosen to, to use defense, which is evasion and movement, 
even if he wasn't playing with range, leaning over, that would still kind of cost him a little bit. And maybe, you know, listen, give Whitaker some credit. You're mentioning Gaslam too, but in the Whitaker fight, dude, Whitaker was setting it up nicely, dude. He was waiting until he could see. I don't know if you guys know this uh, phrase. I think it was Washington. I don't know which battle it was. George Washington. I could be wrong about that too, but there's a famous expression in in, in old-timey war fighting, which was, don't shoot until you can see the whites of their eyes. And so that was a little bit what Whitaker was doing. It's like, wait, 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 and then go, right? And so getting out of the way of that is going to be harder. As indicated, you're putting yourself in harm's way. And also, you know, that the timing on what Whitaker was doing was really, really good. So um, that's my best guess because, you know, Adesanya is good at evasion. He is good at movement. He is good at slipping and countering. I just feel like he puts himself in danger a lot. He takes a lot of risks. And the guys who he's fighting, in this case, certainly Whitaker, they're pro fighters too, man. They're pro fighters too. Uh, Luke, I heard that you're a longtime soccer fan. That is not true. Being an American, what inspired you to start watching? Also, given that North America will be hosting the World Cup in 2026, what would you say to convince more of your fans that a sport get a closer look? Uh, not a lifelong fan. Played it as a kid. Little kid. Then moved around a bunch and then lost track of it. Never played it again, ever, actually. I mean, recreationally or whatever. But, um, And then got back into it in my mid to late 20s by virtue of a, Spain, a trip to Spain that I took. Um, so that's the only answer. There's no other answer. And then what would I say? I don't really give a shit if a lot of Americans don't support soccer, to be honest with you. In part because I just, like, through MMA, like, I've learned that I don't need you to like things that I like. It certainly is nice when people do that, but I don't need it. Second of all, what I would say is people in America come around for the World Cup. Like, they get busy for the World Cup. And then, uh, you know, we're going to lose anyway. So how much lobbying am I supposed to really be doing? Plus, the World Cup is a fun, amazing tournament. But it's not like soccer at its best. Y'all know this. Like, at its best is, you know, Champions League final or something like that. Not, not you know, and then obviously that can be entertaining and then they matter. But um, what am I going to say? Oh, the last thing I'll say on this is I, I think I brought this up before. There was a survey done just before the pandemic. So I don't know where things stand today. But as of 2019, 2018 or so, there was a survey that was done of Americans age 20 and below. And even then, the number one sport was American football. Number two was not baseball or hockey or even basketball it was soccer soccer was the number two favorite sport of americans 20 years older and younger so what i would also say is just generationally there's a big shift coming um let's see hi luke congrats on the weight loss progress had a weigh-in today boys had a weigh-in today i hit a weight today that i haven't been since 2018 how about that how about that Pretty close. I'm up. I think I did the math. I'm about, you guys are like looking for numbers and, and I'll give you all that data. I'm 12 pounds away from a major goal, not the end goal, but a major goal. I'm 12 pounds away. I don't know how long that will take. Sometimes I can lose a pound a week. Sometimes it's three. Sometimes it's nothing. It's hard to say exactly. Probably a few months, something like that. But once I get down to that, um, I'm going to tell you guys all the numbers and, uh, I'm quite excited to do that. I'm not that far. 12 pounds is, is very doable for me. Anyway, congrats on the weight loss progress. If there's one lift that you recommend to anyone to not do, what would that lift and exercise be? Um, listen, everyone's anatomy is going to be different. I don't know if there is any one lift. If you're asking which lifts are a little bit more 
dangerous than others. I would say sissy squats can be a little dicey. Um, upright rows, even with a cambered bar, if your elbows are higher than your wrists, as opposed to your wrists being higher than your elbows. Um, if your wrists are low, it's really bad. It can cause uh, some shearing issues. Other than that, I don't really have, you know, any lift you want to do, you want to do correctly and scientifically and carefully and strategically. You don't want to just walk under a bar and start cranking it out. But, I, you know, there, I don't know if there's any one lift that, like, no one should ever do. You shouldn't do what's right for you. Or excuse me, you shouldn't do what's wrong for you. You shouldn't, you shouldn't lean into that. But that takes some figuring out. Uh, what's one fitness goal outside of weight loss and strength gains that you're aiming for or would like to get back as a notch on your belt? The pant size I had when I graduated college, that is in play. That is in play. I'm not there yet, but that's I'm not far. So that would be nice. Uh, thoughts on Pelosi encouraging athletes to stay silent on speaking up about Chinese issues when in China during the Olympics. I mean... What do you want me to say? She's fucking great. She's horrible. <laughs> I hate her. You know, and I, yeah, everyone knows I lean to the left, pretty far to the left in some some respects, and she is the worst. She, is, you'll never hear me defend her. But at the same time, dude, it's like, you know, listen, people should speak out on Chinese issues. They should. Uh, Chinese government issues, anyway. They should speak out on those things. Those are important to speak up about. Uh, on the other hand, you know, America just sort of looks the other way as Saudi Arabia continues to just intentionally uh, go on bombing campaigns and did nothing about and still have done nothing about what's happened in Yemen. And in fact, um, you know, where we're talking about the world's worst starvation crisis on Earth and using the 9-11 victim fund funds to. Um, well, I should say, using money that was, I think it was designed and earmarked for Afghans uh, and then giving it to the 9-11 Victims Fund. Like, the Afghans weren't even involved in 9-11. Like, they were on the planes or anything. I mean, you could say whatever, like the Taliban, blah, blah, blah. But what does that got to do with the ordinary uh, Afghans who had nothing to do with any of that and they're fucking getting starved in, in winter? It's, uh, it, you know, that's got nothing to do with Pelosi per se. But um, just pointing out perfectly reasonable to criticize Chinese government policies, but let's not forget that our own government here, and depending on where you're watching, but certainly here at home, I'm not here to equate that with Uyghur uh, worker camps. I am here to say, though, that like, oh, China's got it wrong, and our, our nose is clean is not accurate. Do you think Izzy can go down as an all-time great if he continues to get close? Sometimes controversial, split decision wins. Or will it start to tarnish his legacy if he doesn't get more definitive wins like GSP Silva and Early Jones? I really don't think it will tarnish his legacy, to be honest with you. I know his detractors want to think that, but it, I don't really buy that. I think if you get the wins, you're just going to be fine from a historical standpoint. Or, or, or not, if you get the losses. The thing I think that I would worry more about him is, dude, the guys aren't going in there and blowing the doors off of him. Blahovich beat him, but took him five rounds, and everyone, like, what's the game plan? The game plan is not to heat up the intensity. The game plan is to dial it down and be very uh, selective with when you employ it. Any fight like that doesn't mean you can't get knocked out, of course, but it's not, the chances somewhat go down by virtue of that. And so the point I would make here is, 
what you saw in the Blahovich fight might actually... I'm not concerned with like, oh, he might just start getting the doors blown off and, and losing and that will affect his legacy. Or if he wins in boring ways, that will affect his legacy. I don't really buy either of those. Oh, I suppose anything's possible. But those are not... I don't consider those very likely outcomes. A likely outcome that I... Or I should say a... I don't know if it's likely. Um, certainly a possible outcome. One of the ones I think is more plausible depending on how things go is like the Blahovich thing over and over again, right? Where you're not really getting the doors blown off. You're not really doing terribly, just not enough. And the other guys have just kind of figured out a little bit more here, a little bit more there, a little bit of wrestling late, a little bit of checking out the leg kicks, blah, blah, blah. Not that it's that easy, but, you know, they begin to pick up on the things that matter and then enact them more ably. Um, that, could, that could really sway the win and the losing ledger a little bit. I think that seems um again not eminent I don't, I don't know how maybe he goes undefeated the rest of his career but i would worry more not about ho-hum wins and what they do but about whether the ho-hum wins start turning into ho-hum losses and what that might do any reason the podcast isn't recorded with video on spotify is it because it's recorded remotely and you will start uploading in the future i don't have a good answer for you Okay, I'm going to profess my ignorance here. Can I record this and then upload the video to Spotify? And if so, would you folks want to see it? I mean, I realize you can. Do I have to pay more to do it? Or some, like, how does it work? If, if fo- I've, I've never even looked into it, so I don't know. But if y'all want it, we'll do it. We'll do it. God keeps asking me about MK's overall positive negative algorithm. I think we have a big Florida get together coming up, so I'll let you know after that. Someone also asked me why vape. No good reason. My wife was using this when we were in Colombia. I didn't take any weed with me, as you can well imagine. I'm not bringing drugs to Colombia. So, uh, you know, and I used it as a chance to just stop using anyway. And um, I just needed something to kind of smoke a little bit. Like when I say I would have two, three hits at a time and then be on my way. And then it just kind of became like, oh, I kind of like this. I need to stop. I probably will soon, I hope. But. For right now, it's kind of fun. Plus, I don't have to go outside, you know. All right, Luke, thanks for answering my question a couple of weeks back. You mentioned on Tech Difficulties about Izzy's game just being focused on striking, and I believe he has really opened his game to be red and beat like Jones against Reyes or Cruz against Cody. Do you see Izzy losing anytime soon like Silva's close loss to Chael? around his sixth title win, or what do you think he can add to his game to continue his path on GOAT status? I don't see him having the game, or quite frankly, the motivation to tie and beat Silva's record. Yeah, I don't know about how long he wants to stay at middleweight. That, your guess, is <laughs> truly as good, if not way better than mine. I have no idea what he's going to do there, because he's been getting bored a little bit. Now, I don't think with the Whitaker fight, but you know, he talked about getting bored with a couple of the fights, and so I think he needs to get creatively pushed. Something else to think about, which I didn't bring up in Tech Difficulties that I'll bring up here. One thing Adesanya does that people lose sight of is he does have a lot of things he goes back to. But here is one thing I didn't give him credit for in that video. I'll give him credit for now. While he does have a series of attacks he goes to, he do, and he doesn't overhaul them fight to fight, he does slowly replace them. For example, didn't see a single question mark kick this time. That's been a staple of his forever. Didn't see a single one this time. 
some of the leg kicks he uses. He will build something that works and then slightly tweak it for the next one so that a person has a harder time picking up on the entries. In other words, while the overall weapons in terms of what punch or kick is thrown may not change, he likes you know, something from Southpaw. He likes something from Orthodox. He does edit and revise the camouflage and the entries for them pretty routinely, actually. So there can be similarities, but there are meaningful differences fight to fight year to year with what he uses and how he uses it. This is what I mean. Like, he's only going to fight one way. He's only really going to strike with you. At least historically, that's all he's really done. Again, when he gets put on his back and he scrambles, sometimes he'll throw up guard work to do that. But even then, he's right back on top. The caveat to that is, while he's only, for the most part, really going to strike with you, and even then, he's got a few things he really likes to do, like the leg kicks. He does put in these tweaks that, you know, here, guys, you got to think about something. If I took away, let's say, what, what, what rounds did you guys think Whitaker did better in? Round, rounds two through five, right? Maybe you gave him two through five, maybe you gave him uh, two, four, and five, whatever it was. Imagine in those rounds, in let's say round three even, I took away four leg kicks that he lands. I take away four. Not a high number, four. Does Whitaker win that round? Now, some of you might say, oh, he won the round. Okay, but for the ones who didn't give it to him, that's who I'm talking to. Let's say I took away three or four leg kicks from Izzy. Now what happens in that round? It might go to Whitaker. We're not talking about a huge change. You don't have to take away everything. But if he can miss on three leg kicks that he would ordinarily get anyway, if he's winning by a close margin, that is enough to turn the tide to a losing margin. In fact, it happened in the Blahovich fight. Blahovich got, got hit with some of those for sure. But he was checking a lot and getting out of the way a lot. It took what would may have been 20 strikes landed per round, now down to 15. That is enough to make the difference. If you're going to play at the margins, the margins don't have to shift a lot for the results to shift. And so while I, on the one hand, want to give Adesanya a ton of credit for being very crafty and clever in camouflage and then slightly revising it and slightly tweaking it and replacing things, like he's on it in that sense. That is still a different posture from what GSP would do, which is, okay, against Koscheck, I'm going to jab your face off. Against uh, Hendricks, I'm going to look repeatedly for the takedown. He had those levels to go to. Now, again, the other part here about Adesanya you just have to recognize is, dude, he's so good in the stand-up that, yes, he's not, like, um, beating all these guys to a pulp and then they have to, like, scrape them with a spatula off the canvas every time. But he has he started this game with a an, an UFC with a monster striking advantage. I mean, dude, you guys don't even respect what he was doing, what what fighters doing before he got here. Some people were faking and fainting. I firmly believe that he ratcheted that up as an in. I don't. I can't think of one fighter I would pick who did more to influence fainting in modern MMA than him. The, 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 that's that's what he brings to the game, and he brings much more. But that was one thing he brought. But the problem with that is, is okay, you brought that. Well, now everyone's copying it. <laughs> You know what I mean? So, like, you can get – even if you have a tremendous lead on the game and even if you make revisions, those are important to maintain lead. The, and I don't know what the answer to this is. Dude, like, it may never cost him that he doesn't offensively wrestle. It may literally never cost him. It's just that when you ask, like, what the really good champions did to avoid some of those problems, a lot of them is this ability to play the levels when necessary. Not that they're equal, but – 
that you have that 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 avenue to pursue if it is assumed valuable for you. And also, the other part about his risk calculation is he's probably going to always say, if I can't win wrestling, what hope would I have striking? I think if your wrestling comes along and it works well with the right opponent, that's the wrong way to look at it. But, um, you know, that's sort of where I stand. So... Do I think that other guys are catching up with him? There's just no doubt everyone's catching up with him. It's inevitable. Again, it doesn't matter who you are. Dude, people caught up with St. Pierre. People caught up with Silva. People caught up with Demetrius. People are going to catch up with Israel. It is it is inevitable. Um, the question is, how long can he delay it? How much can he maintain that lead? And what other ways can he creatively craft uh, a game to maintain that lead? And my whole point is, there's a lot of ways he could do that. But if you're not going to treat uh, grappling and wrestling as offensive possibilities you are closing off what i think could be a dramatic avenue for you but i also hope people remember what i said in tech difficulties dude this argument out of sign you can't defend a takedown out of sign you can't you know once you get them down fights over it y'all <laughs> it's just totally wrong totally wrong totally wrong maybe it's not offensive enough maybe maybe you could argue that yeah you could argue that i think you could definitely argue that how strong defensively is it? Motherfucker, it's strong. Strong. Very strong. And it's just time to accept that. Was it strong when he fought the, the Wilkinsons of the world? No, it wasn't that strong. Strong now. He's had four years to work on it. And I'm going to go say this one more time about him. One more time. Dude, he's not been injured. Have you all not paid attention to that? This fucker has been fighting. I, told, I, I showed it. 2018, 2019, he had seven fights in two years. I mean, he was busy. Busy. And he didn't get injured once. Doesn't get injured in the fight. Somehow doesn't get injured in training. Doesn't pull out of fights. It's shocking. And because he doesn't have these off periods, he has just been learning, 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 learning. Uh, refining, mastering, getting better, getting physically stronger too. Because he doesn't get injured. He's like the Diaz brothers in that sense. They, they almost never get injured. A little bit. Do you know who gets pay-per-view points out of Colby and Masvidal? So, I know for a fact Masvidal gets points. I don't know about Colby's contract. I don't know. Masvidal does. For sure, Masvidal does. Does Izzy's insane scrambling in the Whitaker rematch make you even more curious about how an Usman versus Adesanya fight would play out? Given Usman's wrestling is mostly defensive anyway. No, he can be offensive when he needs to be. Um... I hadn't thought of it until you asked, actually. Um, makes me more curious about Usman versus Whitaker, I'll tell you that. But um, I think Usman gives people problems. I think I don't know if he beats Izzy. I think he gives Izzy problems. I think he gives him problems, man. Uh, it's just hard to say. Do you think cancel culture is finally coming to an end with left-leaning celebrities now feeling the effects of it? Like Whoopi Goldberg with her, you said Jewish comment, yes, and The Rock for his anti-Asian segment on uh, WWE. Um, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not even, t I mean, I know what people say when they say cancel culture, but it has a pretty vast meaning and lots of audiences use it in different ways. Are you asking me that people are realizing on the left side, the ones who have been, although 
sorry, dude. I got to tell you, all this fucking book banning shit, you know, that some of these school boards are taking up, like, I, we, we can't tell people that, you know, slavery has been quite terrible. Uh, and by the way, like, you know, uh, I'll leave that part alone. But, you know, if you're banning books and you look at the list of book banning and then the reasoning behind it, if y'all are against cancel culture, you better fucking speak up. You better speak up. It doesn't matter if you're interested in critical race theory. I'm not even sure what the fuck that's supposed to be. Here's what I am interested in. When school boards start banning books, bro, you have a problem on your hands. So however much y'all are like, let's let these left-leaning celebrities get their comeuppance. I'm cool with it. Fine. If you're honest, if you're intellectually honest, you need to be speaking out against all of them. Like this trucker thing, I'm not, I'm not really on their side at all, but... What the Canadian government is doing, trying to like turn them into terrorists and freezing their funds and then doxing them uh, and all the donors. This is abhorrent. You have to oppose that, not because you support the truckers, even if you do. You oppose that because those methods are by themselves unjustified. And two, are they going to be turned to some audience that you might perceive as quite reasonable and they're going to do the exact same thing to them? Um so it's abhorrent what's happening. Now, to answer about Whoopi, I don't think like Whoopi's the same thing. I mean, she got suspended. Dude, she apologized right away and was like, okay, I was, I, you were right, I was wrong. I stand corrected. She came out right away. I think that was the exact word she used. We're supposed to be mad at her for this. Like, you know, she said a dumb thing. She got corrected. She was like, you're right. Okay, fine. Move along. The Rock thing is more is, is funnier to me. He didn't just make anti-Asian comments uh, on WWE. He made a bunch of tranny jokes on Twitter as well, like accusing people who were saying nasty things about him. Of that, and of course, dude, this is what this whole like, dude. People are. This doesn't. This doesn't mean you look the other way on mendacity or, you know, people who are spewing obviously toxic things into the world. But it just sort of means you have to understand on some level, especially if you're older like me, like 40, 50, 60. You know, you're talking about people who have lived through different eras where what was acceptable before is no longer acceptable now, and you were just, you were literally. Again, this is not. I'm not trying to excuse bad behavior. What I am trying to say is. I'll just speak about myself. Enlightenment, to the extent you can find it, and basic civilization, not the group of people, but the act of civilizing people. Dude, these you're not born that way. I mean, if some of y'all were born enlightened about all of these matters, congrats. I was not. I was not. I, I, I was not. And... I am sure that you could point to things I did not too long ago even and say like this was not very um, in keeping with your current values, in keeping with social values, in keeping with any kind of value that anyone of a rational mind would respect. And it's probably true. So like, you know, people were like beating up on The Rock and be like, oh, yo, he did this thing. Joe Rogan did this thing. You Shouldn't you come out and say something negative about it? And dude, The Rock is just a corporate avatar smashed into a body full of anabolics. That's all he is, dude. Like, he's, y'all think he's some hero. He's not your fucking hero. Took over for, took over for Reebok and did the exact same thing with Reebok. He's Reebok with the people's eye or whatever his fucking gimmick is. You know, you're putting out statements, this is for the hardest workers in the room, and you didn't do anything other than what Reebok did. Totally fraudulent. Totally fraudulent. I can't tell you how many, uh, after he tweeted me, I cannot tell you how many managers who never reach out to me, reached out to me and thanked me for asking questions, being like, dude, who the fuck, where is the money? You didn't give them any extra money? You didn't do anything other than what Reebok did? Seriously? 
after all this high rhetoric, <laughs> they're the hardest workers in the room. Well, why aren't you rewarding that? Just another taker, dude. Just another. His, he, the guy spoke out in behalf of Mohammed bin Salman, first of all, and then his boys with Jeff Bezos. Like, y'all think this is your friend. He ain't your fucking friend. He's the dude at the end of the corporate board who is, you know, all too happy to make difficult choices for everyone else's life. That's great for his bottom line. That's who that dude is. Just so that's clear. But to answer your question, like the other part is like, guys, we've all got a ton of transgressions that you, if you're my age or so, you need to, you need to understand. So that should, that the point I'm trying to make is that should impart a degree of humility upon you to understand that yes it is not wrong to ask and i'm speaking about the joe rogan situation it's not wrong to ask others to do better but as a personal thing folks were being like i had people dming me aren't you going to say something on the negative side and it's like dude i disagree with 90 percent of the shit joe rogan says that's not mma and even mma it's like 50 percent i disagree with we don't see the world the same way but what I'm not going to do is parade like I've reached some level of fucking enlightenment about all of this. Well, this is clearly... Uh, yeah, of course, at some point, having moral clarity about things is important and stating it is important and, 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 and believing those things is important. But if you have been, in the church's words, a sinner on this issue, that should impart your wisdom about how reformation is possible uh, how long it takes, how uneven it can be, you know? Like, I, I just think about myself. It's like, I think back to some of the things I said and did and believed, and I didn't think any of those things were bad at the time I was believing, and now I'm like, fuck me, you know? So, you know, The Rock bought into this bullshit about, like, I got to make sure that I distance myself at this point. He probably had some fucking attorney or manager in his ear being like, this is a thing. But it's not a winning position because nobody can do that. Nobody who's lived through the world long enough, who was born with enlightenment, can do that. All of us have been that way. So I think if you want to, you can speak out and be clear about things you disagree with and why you disagree with them. But, you know, parading your moral excellence as a way to make an argument when it's just as fraught as everyone else's, to me, is so fraudulent. That's why I liked what Whoopi did better. Whoopi was like, all right, y'all all right. Y'all all right, my bad. Sorry. You were right. What else can you ask of a person? <laughs> right? Isn't that the whole idea? The whole idea is like, okay, we don't know everything. If we say something and it's wrong and someone tells us it's wrong, accepting that, acknowledging it, and but then everyone else moving along with it because they don't want to impugn the entirety of your character. That's how it's supposed to work. That's how it's supposed to work. Not, man, fuck that. Yeah, yeah, you guys are right. Yeah, fuck that guy. When you're just as fucking bad as everyone else. You know, the whole fuck that guy thing, it has a time and a place, but you need to be sparing with that shit. Um... Have you heard James Gallagher's account of what he experienced in the aftermath of the Patchy Mix fight? Personally, I can see him avoiding the upcoming Grand Prix altogether. While he was undoubtedly a key fixture in Bellator's initial European exploits, this latest loss seems to have taken the wind out of his sails. What do you make of his overall skill set and where is his ceiling? You know what, man? I like James Gallagher. I really do, man. I've interacted with him in person a number of times, and I get it, man. I get it. I get it. He did the thing where if your stuff doesn't work out, you're going to get butchered for it. And he did that. He played, he took that risk, and it blew up in his face by taking that risk and then taking the losses that he did. Um, I don't know what to say about that, except that 
I think what has been a problem for him is he is trying to find and pivot, you know, a more honest identity. I think what's happened to him, and I have not read what happened, it breaks my heart because I really like the guy a lot. I know what y'all saw on tape. And again, he, he did those things. He brought it on himself. I'm telling you off tape, that's not that kid. It's not that kid. He is nice. He is funny. He is welcoming. He's professional. He's hard to, it, what, from what I have seen, from what I have seen in person, he's hard to dislike. From what I've seen on camera when he's putting the shades on, okay, that's a different story. I get that. And no, I've not heard what he had to say. It breaks my heart a little bit because here's the thing, man. He was, and I still think highly of him, but that worldview he adopted where he was like Conor McGregor light or something, he used it to great effect early on. But rooted in that worldview is I am the best. Connor made it work. Connor captured, well, you know, two belts really. Or I forget the Diaz loss and where it was. Yeah, the Diaz loss came prior, obviously. Um, but he captured two belts. Like he really and was the first person to hold two at the same time in UFC. He actually made good on that. So even if he has a loss here or a loss there, he, you know, like there's a real, a real world um, re- reality. I don't know what the word would be. There's a there's a there's a a life that he lives that corresponds to what that worldview took him to. Like there's, he he made good on the promise of what he told himself. Um, Gallagher, quite young, how old is he? James, how old is old James? James is 25. I mean, he doesn't turn 26 till October. Here's what I would say. I don't know how he's gonna make money. That's, I can't figure that out for him, but you know, do I, what do I think of a ceiling? I don't fucking know. <laughs> it's so early. So, as I've, t- I've told you guys before, some guys at 22 are going to be world beaters. Some guys at 32 will still never be world beaters. Dude, at 25, you don't know. But what I think he has to do is not really get practice and get better. He's with Glory MMA. He'll get better. I think he has to find a new identity and a new, um, a new, a new way to view the world around him and his place in it. You know, because if you're just going to surf on the 21-year-old, I can do anything invincibility, and then the invincibility is shattered, you have to regroup behind that. Uh, and you can. You can. It absolutely can be done. Like, he's come this far. I don't think he realizes how far he's come. Um, so what I would say is, you know, I don't know, I don't know about the job part and the paying the bill part, but, like, he's made a lot of changes that I think are important. I would keep going. But I would retool that worldview a little bit to more accurately correspond to, you know, some of the challenges he's faced. What went wrong? Why did it go wrong? Let's lean into that. And that's not easy to do. But I think at 25, man, it can be done. It can be done. I am not at, dude, there's almost going to be no 25-year-old I'm going to give up on. Especially one that's one at, you know, at the Bellator level or something like that. No. Mm-mm. Luke, I received lifting gloves for my birthday. What should I do with them? Fucking wipe your ass with them and throw them in the garbage. Do you need an ashtray? Put some ceramic in the middle. Have the glove hold it. All right, Luke, I got into a Twitter argument. Those are a waste of your time, but all right. Okay, what matters more when you look back on a fighter's career? The overall record or... Each individual fight. For example, Anderson has 10 title defenses, but some of those, like the Maya fight, were excruciatingly boring. Okay. Boring is not a criticism of the fight as it relates to greatness, though. 
Uh, not exactly, anyway. Also, GSP was largely a decision machine. He became one. He was not always that way. Does that make a bigger impression than the overall number of wins they amass? No. The boringness of the Dan Hardy win does not in any way negate it. Like, you add it. What I would say, though, is when you're looking at greatness is how often did they compete? Um, of course, you want to look at strength of schedule. How, how tough were the guys that they fought? But also... How many submissions did they get? How many stoppages did they get? How many takedowns? How many knockdowns? How many significant strikes? Look for a series of other quantifiable variables that speak to domination in ways that the simple win or the loss doesn't tell you enough of. And then from there, you can get to go back. So, you know, one of the criticisms you can get of GSP's career is, you're right, that latter portion of it had a ton of decisions along the way. That impacts a little bit how he was viewed. I lived through that period. I can tell you he was extremely burned out and he was wrestling as a way to control variables, but he just, he still got the wins. I mean, he still got the wins by and large, right? So that you ha you cannot take that from him, but let's say there was a GSP rival. There wasn't one, but let's say that there was, and they had a similar number of wins and a similar number of title defenses, but they had all stoppages along the way. And it was a similar kind of competitor that they faced. You might begin to ask questions about who was actually better at that point. That's why the sort of the Kamaru thing is an important one. You know, Kamaru, obviously, I think it was his last fight against Colby, right? Went to a decision. Knocked down Colby, that counts. But before that, he sent Jorge into the land of wind and ghosts. Like, check, that'll be a big one for him. That'll be a big one. That will count substantially, you know. Uh, now, he didn't just get the win. He put the guy away. And again, not everyone can put the guy away. So you look at the Colby fight. Okay, how many knockdowns did he get between the 10 rounds? You know, you sort of look at that, like, how everyone else do against Colby, blah, 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 or other champions or whatever. That's how I would look at it. Let's get a couple more of these in here. Would you be so kind as to list off a few reputable news sources? I'm 27, and in my younger years, I found myself pushing away any news I saw as I found it all seemed unbelievable or at least hard to substantiate. Yes, definitely the latter. Now I'm close to 30 and I realize I have no news sources that I can trust. And as a result, I'm basically only educated on a few issues that podcasters such as yourself speak on. And maybe if you have time to throw it to, in a disclaimer as to why young people should not do what I did. Yes. Guys, you are very, very right. to, And I've done, you guys have forced me to think more about this and I've done some more thinking about this. But here is where I would kind of try to center you a little bit. The people that I see as the best media critics, they don't avoid media. They just filter it in the best way possible. Now, I don't even have some of their tools to do this. I don't mean filtering as a literal thing, but as a act. Um, what I have found is probably the best, and this will take time. I do think you need to start with a mainstream media outlet. Now, you got to find one that is a little bit more reliable than others. Maybe for you, that's Wall Street Journal or something else. Um, because here's what one thing you got to miss. Like one... Uh, there's a couple of, um, there's many media critics I listen to. Aaron Mate, I listen to a lot. Glenn Greenwald, I pay for his Substack. Uh, there's a guy named Adam Johnson, I pay for his. Sub Adam Johnson sent Glenn, Glenn Greenwald into the land of wind and ghost when they had a Twitter debate. Uh, Glenn, one of, his, one of his pieces of myopia is that he's always calling out a liberal uh, hypocrisies, which all of them are true, or nearly all of them are true. But he just like never says a word about the right wing side. He just doesn't ever. Like, all the criticisms he makes of MSNBC, they can all be made of Fox News, and he just doesn't ever do it. And Adam Johnson was killing him for it and was like, you complain about corporate media, but you have the number one seat on the most watched corporate media show, that would be Tucker Carlson's, every single week. Like, your your claims here about the hollowness of corporate media ring quite fucking not true. 
when you have the most venerated position with inside of it. So it was a really good point that he made. But what I would say is you also have to learn to find some media critics that can help center these debates with you as best you can. And also one thing I've done now is I'll read an article about a story of something I didn't know about before. I will try to read some other folks to see if there's something kind of similar. And I would also say is you have to kind of stay in that fray to make sure any revisions come across your timeline, any kind of um, new reporting that matters, that changes things. Um, you have to be skeptical up front. I do think you need to read, but you got to find the right media critics. It's not easy. I don't have a great solution for you. I've come to a better place than I have been before, but I'm sure whatever I have now is not enough. I, I would guarantee there could be some other ones, but through trial and error, I've definitely found some ones. So if you're looking for some media critics, especially of like liberal corporate media, you know, because they're not going to say shit about the right side. Glenn Greenwald is really good on that. Very strong, very powerful, very convincing, very evidence-based to me anyway. Aaron Maté was good on like Russia Gators. Um, but, you know, if you want to talk about like right-wing media failures in the corporate side, there's a billion of those too. I tend to pay less attention to them because I, I'm more in tune with it. But on the left side, I definitely hire people or I pay people anyway through the sub stacks and other mecha mechanisms too keep me informed of the, the shortcomings on the side that I would probably be from a bias standpoint, a little bit more willing to accept. I need them to tell me to not accept it. Not that I would accept that blindly, but as they produce evidentiary cases, it's like, Oh, right. Okay. And then also once you begin to realize some of the pitfalls there, you avoid scenarios that where you could have gotten into trouble previously. Like anybody was like, Oh, the CIA says, I don't, I don't listen to that anymore. <laughs> I don't. There's just I can't trust anything that that any journalist. They're just parroting what the CIA and FBI tells them without any broader pushback. So, what you really got to do is you got to find some interesting people. And by the way, I'm I'm here shouting out all the ills of the left. There are some great parts of the left media which I would really strongly encourage anyone to look into. I'll give you a perfect example of which. There's a young woman from this area. She's she's still at Vox. She's about to go to the Atlantic. Her whole specialty is on housing costs. Why are costs in cities so high? Not just that, but that's a big thing she's pointing at. And dude, she doesn't hide at all from the fact that these are uh, blue cities. They are run by Democrats or you know some kind of left coalition. And the housing is expensive because of their hypocrisy on their issues. Like it's a real thing. She has been all over it. Not that she defends gentrification per se, but there was this video that went... Um, uh, viral on TikTok talking about how all this gentrification housing was pushing out residents. And then she looked into those uh, individual building uh, uh, situations and found that none of that was true. Jerusalem De uh, Demsis, I think is her name. Demsis, I think. Let me look up, get her last name correctly. Her first name is Jerusalem. Uh, yes, Jerusalem Demsas, D-E-M-S-A-S. -S. If you guys want to know more about affordable housing and like how all of our laws have created all these fucked up situations. She is a gem. That's what you got to find. You got to find people that regardless of persuasion, they might lean certain ways. Everyone's going to have biases, but they really try and make a good faith effort at like, what are the facts of the case? What can we say about it? What has gone wrong here? And what are the solutions to it? And you can accept them or not, but that's all you're looking for. It's all you're looking for. I have found on various issues some of these people. Um, if you're looking for a baseline thing to read, The Economist, I mean, I'm not going to give you anything that's not great or that's not um, full of issues uh, and challenges. Wall Street Journal is a big one. You can go to Economist. I like The Washington Post. That's the one I pay for. Um, but I recognize a lot of folks are not going to want that. Okay. I, I can only lead you. ProPublica, I would say, is a pretty... 
important one for people who care about the truth. And by the way, it's not about left or right. It's about who is watching the powerful in society. ProPublica has taken that as a uh, modus operandi. Again, they're not going to be perfect about it. I'm sure you guys can find things where they fell apart on that. But in general, they're going to be much better than other mainstream news sources. But folks, you, the one thing you have to understand about something is I like the folks, the Aaron Mates, the Adam Johnsons, Adam Johnsons, the Glenn Greenwalds, whoever. I like them challenging um, the reporting, challenging my worldview. But you got to remember something about the Wall Street Journal, about Le Monde, about... El País, about the New York Times, about the Washington Post. These are big organizations that have a lot of manpower to look into stories. Now, they may get those stories wrong time to time in ways spectacular or otherwise, but I'm trying to point out something. This is a news room with people who know how to collect this, at least from a procedural standpoint, um, everywhere. They can get more news to you than even your number one critic can. You need to have some kind of, you pick, pick the one for you that you want to pick, but you need to have some kind of baseline news gathering, disseminating, creating institution at the core of what you do. And then you want to build your critics and then your other sources around that to help balance it, create a broader picture. But just the reality is, while you should have skepticism, you can't replace a news gathering organization with a news critic. They're not equivalent things. You still need a, a group of people whose sole job is to deliver the news at the center of what you do. Okay, let's take a look at some of your uh, paid questions. Let me also put this up too. There we go. Hit that subscribe button, bitches. And then uh, we'll get this moving in the right direction, I hope. All right. Oops. Let's see. Supers. Okay. Uh, oops, here we go. Here we go. Okay. Which former UFC fighter has had the most success in or out of the cage after leaving the promotion? Would you be willing to do more interviews with former fighters such as you did with Nate Quarry? Nate's one of them. Y'all are going to hate me for saying this, but Brendan Schaub I put up there. But also like Brian Stan... Um, Josh Koscheck has this whole consulting business where he's made a shit ton of money. Uh, would I do an interview with him? Sure. I mean, but like, you know, I need a reason. Ahead of the UFC London card in March, which British fighters, if any, do you think will challenge for a world title in the future? Leon Edwards, Tom Aspinall. Um, those would be my number one, number two. Darren Till might at some point. Uh, I like Arnold Allen. I think highly of him. He's a good fighter. Really good fighter, actually. Um, UK. I, I give those ones up front. Tom Aspinall is the one I got my eye on the most. That fucker is good. He's real good. Jordan Peterson is a... This person writes. I did not write this. Jordan Peterson is a quasi-intellectual MIO who is not very insightful. I think many of his followers are very amenable. What are your thoughts? Listen, I've said this before and I've said it again. I've not studied um, at this point on purpose because I just don't want to wade into it. I don't know shit about Jordan Peterson's. Um, I, I mean, I know the basics about him, but I don't know much about the granular details of what he has put out there. And I try to stay away from it because it's just 
This is one of the situations where it got so toxic, I don't even know who the fuck to listen to on this issue. Like, if you talk to one side, they're like, he's the dumbest motherfucker on earth. And you talk to another side, it's like, yeah, of course they say that because he challenges everything they stand for. And it's like, well, what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> like, who are the people who are like, yeah, I like some of his ideas, dislike others. People are either like slavishly praising him or telling me he's the worst person since Hitler. And I'm like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with that? So I don't know anything. I did see his recent appearance on Rogan and I found it wanting. Like at the beginning when he was talking about climate and he's defined it as everything, which is like the sixth grade version of climate. There's actually a real version of climate, a scientific one, which he just completely ignored about I, I I was shocked that he did that. Honestly, I I don't know where he's at, but and I don't I don't mean to say that. Listen, you can pull out some idiotic thing I said and be like, well, this guy's a fucking moron because that if that's all you know, that would tell you that he's a fucking idiot. And I acknowledge that, but that was not. I was like halfway like, oh, I'll give us a go, and he says that, and I'm like, dude, this is what somebody who fails out of freshman philosophy 101 would say. So I don't know what the fuck that was, but I candidly, like, if you like him, keep liking him. If you don't, don't. I don't. I am not the guy to ask about whether he is a trusted source of wisdom. Rob tried doing a lot. This person gave 20 bucks, so thanks, Terrence. I appreciate it. Uh, Rob tried doing a lot of work along the fence to get takedowns. However, Izzy was able to stop this, but going for the Kimura, which, in my opinion, did more damage. Do people underestimate Izzy's strength? Why don't more people use Kimuras? So the Kimura is not, a, in that in that usage, is not painful. What it does is it just creates a separation in a series of physical choices you have to make to prevent getting your arm spung or whatever. And so it, it, what it ultimately is designed to do is just create separation by virtue of disengaging the position. Um, I don't think that it caused him any pain. I don't, I, you don't look at it that way. It, the arm, I mean, here's how jiu-jitsu works, right? Which way is your anatomy supposed to work? Let's do the opposite of that. Right, your arm can go forward pretty far, but behind you, eh, I'm stopped right here. So a kimura works when we take it even further, and then we put the wrist even back behind. Right, where does your anatomy go? Let's take it the other way. That's how jujitsu. That's that's essentially the core of it. Um, but if you can't really extend from a kimura the arm behind the body, it doesn't. It, it can have value, but it doesn't have a pain value. Um, also, Rob did end up along the fence line a lot, but one, Izzy would walk there. He would drag him there. And the other part was, Rob did a really good job of at least beginning the takedowns in open space and then trying to run them down. You know, what are you supposed to do? Like, he can't pick him. I, uh, Blahovich was able to pick up a scoop double in place and then pancake him. But, you know, he's a fucking big 205er. Like, Rob's not that big, dude. He can't, that's not, that's not on the cards. That's not on the table. So that's what I mean. Like at middleweight, Izzy's like really well situated to be a force in these grappling exchanges in ways that, that it doesn't quite, at least did not in the Blobich fight, fully translate. But like, what do y'all want Rob to do, you know? Luke, you mentioned seeing more Greco-Roman takedowns in MMA. Yeah, completely. Could it also partly be explained through those that negate the your neck being caught and you might be able to choose where you fall? I don't know exactly what you mean. You can't choose where you fall, but you can sometimes choose parts of the way in which you fall. You can do break falls where you slap as you land. I told you guys about this in the Adesanya breakdown. You'll see him reach for a hand. That can be problematic too, by the way, because you can dislocate your elbow. But he'll put a hand down so he can square his hips to the mat and not get his hips turned over. It's very, very, very frustrating for someone trying to take him down. 
Um, but the Greco-Roman thing has come up a lot recently. I have seen people begin to dig for underhooks and much more use either high underhooks or low underhooks around the waist, C-gripping, or um, you know, just different kinds of combos and setups with like collar tie and then overhook collar tie underhook series. Just a lot of different things. You're noticing more and more people. I think it's because of fence wrestling. If you try and let's say we're 50-50 along the fence line. I've got an underhook and I've got an overhook. You have the exact same thing. You have one underhook, you have one overhook, okay? If we're in this, but I'm pressing you into the fence, even if I get another double underhook, dropping for a level, everyone knows to turn sideways, split your base, force the head over, overhook, pull them up. Like everyone, it's hard to take someone down that way. Now you can go to the single and get them to balance in that point and it changes a little bit. But if you have that, if you have a body lock, dude, I mean, you can tear people to pieces with that. You can run them down and trip them. You can take them backwards. You can lift. You can drop. You can do it's just so much. And you don't have to level change to get down there. So I thought I think people are finding entries through punching. And then the other part is like uh, here's one thing that James Krause does. You guys may maybe you picked up on this, maybe you haven't. Um, he does something he calls like the DC one or the DC two. But one thing he does um, when he wants to get behind a person who's very good about keeping their back flat to the mat is he'll just crash his hips into theirs. So his hips will be like almost attached to him and then he'll slowly work his way behind because what he wants to do is create, uh, put himself between the fence and his opponent, right? Rather than the opponent being directly on the fence line. And so, and so that requires you just a lot more underhooking and a lot more pummeling. And I think as a consequence, it just puts you in more of a position to look for those kinds of takedowns. Um, so it's just a way in which the game has moved. What is the most effective way for a striker to map out their own system, i.e. like BJJ players? Also, whose system is the most layered in MMA? That's a question for a striking coach. Could you break down Ty's chances and how the fights might play out if he rematches up against Jones, or he matches up, excuse me, against Jones, Cyril, and Francis? Francis might take him down. Cyril might take him down too. I think all three might try and take him down. They're not going to want to exchange with that fucking guy. You might see Cyril jab and get out of the way, clinch and move. But they don't really want to tie up with him because once a guy like that's in motion, it's going to be hard to stop him. For you, which Dutch kickboxer had the most appealing striking style? Not that I'm any expert on Dutch kickboxing, but... Um, in his peak, I liked Myrtle Grunhardt a lot. I'm not sure what you mean here. In the past, you mentioned the story about a guy. It was a cab driver, and he said, "If to a, not to me, to another guy who was trying to mess with him." Again, this was outside a bar on I think it's 14th Street in New York, which goes side to side. It's one of the bigger avenues, or one of the bigger streets. Excuse me, avenues go north, north, south. Manhattan streets go east, west. Uh, it was on 12th. It was on, excuse me, it was on 14th Street, just past Union. Not not just past, but several blocks past Union Square. And it was a bar called The Village Idiot. And there was this dude coming out fucking with my cab driver. And the cab driver was like, don't fuck with me, motherfucker. I'm third world. And I was like, holy shit. Uh, he says, can we get a rant about immigrants and how they don't tolerate American slash first world sensitivities? I don't know exactly what you mean. But if you're asking me, like, are people who are, like, from other countries that come here and live lives, they're not used to, like, 
Americans aren't used to like dudes who've actually seen some shit really being about it, about it, but they're just ordinary dudes. They're not like fighters. They're not, they're just cab drivers. Yeah, you get a lot of that. Dude, my mom used the code of Hammurabi to fucking punish me. You know, from, from Beirut, Lebanon. She wasn't Arab or anything, or, or, or you know, or not that, that would be the defining characteristic, but, um, you know, grew up in an Arab country, essentially. Uh, but, dude, she put the, f- she, she picked up culturally what was around her, I can tell you. I got, I got worked over. Is there any chance that Nunes took a dive against Pena? Is there any chance? Yeah, there's always a chance. Is it unlikely? Super. Which fighter, ranked or unranked, do you think can beat the champion of their division right now? You could maybe take a flyer on... Well, both are ranked, so unranked? Oh, I wouldn't pick anybody. Is Armin Saryukian ranked? Maybe you could pick him. I think he's ranked too. With all the Bobby Green talk, what other veterans would you like to see get a fight night main event? That's a great question. A bunch of them have already got it. Um... Jim Miller had one. I mean, see, like Miller fought Diaz on Fox. You know what I mean? So, that's a great question. I don't have a good answer for you. I apologize. That's a perfectly reasonable question. Um, most of them already had one. Most of them already had one. Someone says, Luke, I'm gonna they're giving you a give five bucks. Uh, financing a coffee for your next post pay per view instant thought video. Thank you, bro. I appreciate you, bro. Can we get some content of BC talking some leg kicks so he can actually appreciate their effectiveness? Yeah, he doesn't. I've I've seen people try to make the case for the second round. I'm not telling you there's no way to score the second round for Whitaker. That's not what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is I can't do it. I can't find it. And I think people. I said this on on my uh, on the te- technical difficulties video, guys. Y'all can keep being mad at Adesanya's leg kicks. How many fucking fights rounds? Does he need to win year after year with them before you realize whether you like him, whether you hate him, whether you like those leg kicks, whether you don't like those leg kicks, they keep working. (laughs) They keep winning him fights at some point. You just have to respect that fact. And the ones, the fighters who take it away from him, either wrestling or checking him or whatever they're doing, they know, they know. They get it. They don't fuck with that. People keep wanting them to be failures, and they're just not. They're just not. Uh, Where do you rank MF Doom's rapping ability all time? Maybe most unique ever. Top, I don't know. I don't know about ranking MCs, but if you're asking about like really unique MCs, he might be the most unique I've seen. Two and a half. Okay, over under on, oh, by the way, how fast will you ditch the Washington football team or the commanders if they move to VA? I won't ditch them, but I, I'm, I'm not going to games ever. Plus, dude, they're going to get a congressional fucking investigation. Like, it's the worst team. I got stuck with the worst team. Two and a half, over under on how many more title defenses Izzy has before losing the belt. Well, if you count giving it away, I would take the over. Two things. Thanks for opening up more about your personal life, past and present. Do you have any contracts that could use my review? My girlfriend lives in the DMV. A contract manager for DOD would do it for free. Yeah, email me. Email me. I don't have any right now, but email me. 
Uh, Luke, so this person writes, Luke, have you seen the Weasel's fight breakdowns? I have not seen all of his fight breakdowns, but I've seen many of them. He concluded that Rob won that fight by a very slim margin. I'm curious to know your thoughts. First of all, the Weasel is great. When I do these videos where I give the disclaimer, you should hear what other analysts have to say, I think about him perhaps more than anybody else. Because, for example, like if there's 100% of content, we agree on... I would say the broad strokes a fair bit, but there are some things he picks on that I miss. Sometimes he has a different view on things than I do. Like, the, like shouts to the weasel, he's the man. Got nothing but love for the weasel. But that doesn't mean that we always have to agree every single time. And I take it. Here's what I love about the weasel, dude. He puts in that work, right? He goes through the effort of making sure that he tries to do it. I would still say, though, I just don't agree with some, some, we're only a part on one round. It's only one round where we don't agree. And even then, I agree it's close. It's just round two. Every other round, we scored the same. Every other round. I just, I'm sorry. I just, I can't find it for Whitaker. I, I've, I've tried. I've tried. He makes about as strong a case as I think can be made. And if, again, if that is persuasive to you, that's cool. I, I, I wouldn't, I, I get it. I understand. I just can't do it. I, can't, I, I, I just don't, I just don't agree. I just don't agree. But, but the weasel is the fucking man. You would be very, very wise to spend some of your time checking out his work. Got nothing but love for him. And he actually sucks in the way because I used to watch his content along. Well, that's not true. But when I was taking a break from all these breakdowns, I would watch his content religiously. And now I have to kind of take a break and not watch it till after mine because I don't, I don't want anyone influencing me. And I, I would, if I'm going to be wrong, I'd rather be wrong on my own than wrong because I just, you know, copied someone else's notes intentionally or otherwise. So I, I let it go, but I don't, so I don't get to watch it as often as I would like. But um, anyway, uh, how did you score GSP versus Hendricks? I have to go back and look, but I believe I had it GSP. No, I had it Hendricks 3-2, but it was close. Really, 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 really close. Really close. And that is it for me. So one more time, subscribe, uh, thumbs up. One more reminder, on Sunday, on Sunday, 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 I will post a thread for you guys to fill up with fighter pay questions. I'll put, I'll explain directions when I post so that, you know, people who stumble upon it there will know as well. And we're going to have, on Tuesday morning, I will have a video for you where John Nash will answer all of your fighter pay. What, what question has really been at the heart of your fighter pay concerns or you maybe you think the case is weak, maybe you think the case is strong, whatever it may be. I don't care where, where you're at now. I just want to know what your questions are. I will post them a thread for you on Sunday. Fill them up Tuesday. It will be out, okay? Um, thumbs up on the video. Hit subscribe. Thank you guys so much for watching. And until next time, stay frosty.